To learn more about The Church at West Gant, visit us at www.thechurchatwg.com or visit our Facebook page, and we would love to connect with you. Have a great day. Chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. While you're headed there and while our kiddos are headed uh, upstairs, I did want to just uh, mention to you this morning uh, how exciting it is in the season of life that we're in as a church, just the people that God continues to send our way um, in leadership and, and in volunteering. And um, I, I sat Thursday night with a, a group of ladies getting ready for Good News Club that starts at Grove Elementary School on Tuesday. I sat with them on Thursday night and we packed some supplies together and uh, talked about how our first day was going to go. Um, and I just listened a little bit as um, uh, Katie Dalton, who many of y'all may know, Katie, wave your hand real quick, let them see you. Um, Katie's new to the church, and her, her and uh, another family have been visiting with us for several weeks now, but uh, Katie, as she came on board with us, let me know that um, she had served on staff with Child Evangelism Fellowship before, which is the organization that puts on Good News Club. She's been a coordinator before. Um, and y'all don't know this, but for years, uh, six years to be exact, Dean Harrison, the pastor at Rockville Baptist Church, and myself have been praying for somebody to come um, that would be able to take on that Good News Club ministry and run with it. And uh, God has definitely blessed us with Katie. Um, she is an incredibly talented lady, and she's doing a great job with that. Uh, but it wasn't just Katie. It was also uh, Miss Kathy was there with us and one of the ladies from Rockville. Uh, but I want to let you know, specifically, Tuesday, I would invite you to just be praying for the volunteers and the kids that are going to be a part of Good News Club. Uh, last year, we averaged about 15 to 20 kids, maybe less some weeks, uh, in Good News Club. This year already, before we get started, we have 31 that are registered with us. Um, and so that ministry is growing again. Uh, on top of that, we have run that typically with about five or six volunteers. Uh, and uh, this year, we have 11 volunteers that are a part of that ministry this year. So uh, I'm just excited to watch how God is continuing to grow uh, all of those pieces. And then one last thing that I'll just celebrate with you before we jump into God's word um, is that, um, again, as God just continues to send us people, I got a text message uh, yesterday from Will Orr, and uh, Will uh, has been teaching our youth on Wednesday nights, and then he's been a part of our teaching team here on Sunday mornings. Um, and he texted me yesterday, and he said, uh, Chris, I won't be at church tomorrow. I got a call from a, a church down the road that needs me to come uh, and preach for them this morning. And so uh, y'all be in prayer for Will as he leads another church down in Piedmont. Uh, this morning in their service times, and we're just excited to be able to have men of God that God has placed here that we can send, and we can love other churches through what God is doing here. Uh, pretty exciting stuff. So if you've got a Bible with you this morning, again, I would invite you to open it up to Genesis chapter 4. Let me kind of fill you in on where we're at in this whole thing. Uh, we have been walking through for about four weeks now the idea of God's story. We are uh, going to rapidly go through 66 books of the Bible uh, over the course of 11 weeks, and we are almost to the halfway mark, and we're only on Genesis 4. So here we go. Uh, we got a long ways to go. Uh, but we spent a good bit of time on the creation story the first few weeks and just talking through what God created, how he created it, and why he created it. Uh, and then last week, we began the conversation of the fall, and we looked at what happened with Adam and Eve uh, in that story and, and how uh, their choice uh, to give in to the temptation of Satan uh, blocked uh, and, and uh, uh, stopped them from being able to access the tree of life, uh, but reminded that in that story that even through their disobedience and even through the consequences 
of that, that God was still merciful, uh, that he was still going to create a way uh, to have a relationship with his people. Uh, this morning, we're going to jump to the story of Cain and Abel, and here's my, my hope and my plan uh, over the next couple of weeks is that we're going to see this. Uh, at the beginning of this series, I read this statement. You may not remember it. It's okay. But here was the statement. Uh, it was that the, the purpose of God's creation was this, that out of his loving character, God created a universe according to his pleasure to accomplish his purposes for his glory. I'll say that again. God created a universe according to his pleasure to accomplish his purposes for his glory. We phrased it this way on week one, you're not the center of God's story, he is. Uh, but as we walk through the fall, what we're gonna see is that the purposes that God had for his creation, his pleasure, his purposes, his glory, is gonna completely flip on its head. The, the effects of the fall are gonna take God's purposes and they're gonna invert them. And so here's what we're gonna be looking at over the next few weeks is that sin has distorted every part of God's creation. So instead of it seeking God's pleasure, his purposes, and his glory, it now seeks our pleasure, our purposes, and our glory. That is the effects of sin. And ultimately, it ends in destruction. This morning, we're gonna look at Cain and Abel, but over the next three weeks, we're gonna see stories of how these purposes of God are literally turned on their head as the effects of sin permeate all of creation. Let's look at Genesis 4, beginning in verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Some ladies in the room are praising God for that too. Hannah, you got you a man with the help of the Lord. Where's Hannah at? She go upstairs. Oh, I missed my opportunity. Duncan, she'll watch the live stream later. All right. This is different though, this was a child, so that may be awkward. But I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Verse two, and again she bore his brother Abel, and now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel, and he killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? Cain responded. He said, I, I do not know. Am, am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The, the voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the, the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who find him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Let's pray together over the reading of God's word. 
Father, we thank you for the stories that we find on these pages. God, we believe that they are true. We believe that these stories are not just some made-up narrative from years ago. It is not some fable that was passed down from generation to generation. But God, these are stories of truth where we find your character, where we find uh, your love for us, where we find your truth about how you desire us to live. And God, this morning, we submit ourselves to the truth that we find on these pages. God, this morning, we declare that you are righteous. We declare that your word is good. And God, we submit ourselves to it. We will follow it to our dying breaths. So God, show us this morning from your word what you have for us. Teach us today, God, what it looks like to follow you. Show us if there's anything in us that doesn't line up with your word, God, and may we cast it off today. And if there's any discipline or spiritual act that we need to pick up, Father, would you show us that too? That we would walk out of this room different, that we would walk out of this room more um, uh, resembling your son Jesus, that we would walk out of this room, God, faithful to who you've called us to be. We love you. We praise you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. As we look at the story of Cain and Abel, really where I want to go this morning is, yes, the effects of the fall, but what I also want to see through the effects of the fall is God's pursuit of Cain. Because I believe that if the effects of the fall are true, if it is true still today in the year 2023, that the effects of the fall are still out there, we are still sinful people, we are still in need of a Savior, we need his grace and his forgiveness, if that's still true today, then, then we need to find some truth in God's word out of this story of Cain and Abel that helps us understand what it looks like to follow this God who gives us forgiveness. And, and so I want you to hear and I want you to see this morning that yes, we've fallen. Yes, there is sin. Yes, it has permeated all of creation. But what I hope you see, a, a thread that runs through this passage and many more like it to come, I hope that you'll see that God's grace and God's mercy is found on these pages. And if it was found then, it can also be found today. Out of his loving character, God created a universe according to his pleasure to accomplish his purposes for his glory. Sin has distorted it. It seeks our pleasure, our purposes, our glory, and its ultimate end is destruction. I want to start in verse 1. Now Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Can you imagine the excitement of Adam and Eve in this moment? And I don't know if we get this. I, maybe, we, maybe we missed this. I know that I did. I read through this passage multiple times, and it never really hit me until recently as I was reading through it that, that this was the first hope that Adam and Eve had, that what they had destroyed in the garden would be redeemed. Why? Well, because when they fell, when they ate of the fruit, when they messed it all up, God comes to Adam and Eve and he says, hey, you've messed it up. Here's the consequences. You're kicked out. But the words that he gave to the serpent, the word that he spoke to Satan was this. He said, one day you're, you're going to bruise the heel of a man, but he is going to crush your head. And he gave a very specific term to Eve in that. He says, it is through her descendants, through her family, through her offspring that this is gonna happen. And so Adam and Eve, we don't know how much of a time gap there is between Genesis three and Genesis four. We know that Adam and Eve have been removed from the garden. We know that they are kind of wandering through the earth. They're doing their thing. And then we just get this story that Eve gives birth to a son. 
And can you imagine the joy that has to overcome Eve at that point going, here it is. This is the one. Remember, God told us that through my offspring, he was going to crush the head of that snake that messed all this up for us. And so there had to be a ton of just joy that overflowed in Eve. This wasn't just a normal pregnancy and a normal delivery. That wasn't just some random baby that was born. But for Eve, this was a sign of God's promise. There was joy to be found in this birth. This was huge. And so for her, as she looks at this little baby, I can only imagine that Adam and Eve, as they gather around this child, they look at him and they go, there it is. Man, just what if God chooses him? Now, they don't know that it'll be a couple thousand years before God really sends the Messiah. They, they don't know that that's gonna go from Genesis to Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all the way through the Old Testament, that we're gonna see prophets and they're gonna see a rise of a nation and the fall of a nation and captivity and being set free. They don't know that there's gonna be a temple that's built. They don't know any of this stuff. They don't know the miracles that God is gonna do. They don't know the parting of the Red Sea. They don't know uh, the, the 10 plagues. They don't know uh, how God protected his people through the wilderness. They don't know how Nehemiah rebuilt the walls they don't know any of that yet. They just see this child and they hear the promise of God and they look down at Cain and they go, here it is. Adam and Eve have to be filled with joy in this moment and hope and expectation that what was lost by them in the garden was gonna be redeemed and restored through this baby named Cain. But Adam and Eve are only setting themselves up, unfortunately, for disappointment. Adam and Eve, they look at Cain and Eve's response, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. She is praising God for this baby and she has no idea what this child is gonna do. And again, verse two, she bore another son and this child they would name Abel. And now Abel was a keeper of the sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. And in the course of time, Cain brought the Lord an offering of fruit of the ground that they see this child, they watch him, they raise him. They, they teach him the stories about what happened in the garden. We don't know much about the raising of Cain and Abel. We don't know how many years went by in here. We don't, we don't really know much about how old Cain was when he brought this sacrifice of fruit. We don't know how old Abel was when any of this went down. We just know that Adam and Eve had raised these two boys with hope with confidence that they were gonna fix this thing. And we, we don't know the conversations that happened with them and God in this moment. We don't know if God came and gave them commands about uh, how these offerings needed to take place. We don't know if God came in and said, hey, I, I want the fat of animals versus the fruit of the land. We don't know if God had come to them and said, I want sacrifices this way versus that way. We don't have any of those commands recorded for us here in Genesis chapter three or four. We just know Adam and Eve have these two sons and they raise them up. And these two sons are very different. Abel is a man of the animals. He, he keeps these, uh, these uh, sheep. But Cain is a worker of the ground. He's a farmer. He's a gardener. And we know that in the course of time, these two brothers bring a sacrifice to the Lord, an offering to give to him, each from their own talents and abilities. Abel brings some of his sheep, the firstborn, and the fat of them, and Cain brings some fruit of the land. And we get this interesting statement, verse three. It says, 
in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of the fat portions, and the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. Verse 5, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Now, we don't know why this is. In fact, as I read through commentaries and sermons and different notes on all of this, uh, study Bibles and all the resources that I have, there were really kind of three different mentalities that came out of this about why God accepted Abel's offering but not Cain's. Some people would say that, they, uh, that God accepted uh, Abel's offering and not Cain's because Cain brought fruit instead of an animal. And then you would have some pastors who may teach that, and if they do, that's okay, but I would direct them uh, just a couple books of the Bible over where we get the Levitical law, and we find that God actually commands his people to bring fruit offerings to him, to bring grain offerings to him. And so I don't think that that's the case. I don't think that God is upset because of the content of what Cain brought. I don't think it was a matter of it was fruit versus animal, because just a few books of the Bible over, we read that God accepts the fruit. Some would say that it's because Abel's sacrifice was of the firstborn and Cain just brought whatever he had. And therefore, to Cain, or to Abel rather, it was more costly. I could see this a little bit. I could see that even in the wording of this that we see that Cain just grabs some fruit and says, here's my offering. Abel, however, says that he went and got some of his firstborn, the, the money makers of his flock. He took of these sheep and he gave and it was costly to him. I could see that a little bit. Others may say that just as God could see to the heart of David, he could also see to the heart of Cain too. And so it didn't really matter what the item was that was brought, it was the heart and the intent behind it. This is the philosophy that I tend to go with. This is the, the thought process that I tend to go with just from the evidence of the passages, that there's something going on that you and I can't see but God can there's something going on in the wording of this thing that says, hey, we don't know why God said to Abel, hey, great job, thanks, man, but looked at Cain and went, mm-mm. We don't know the reason. God never explains it. He just says, I accepted this one and I didn't take that one. But as we take scripture as a whole, as we look at the entirety of God's story and we, we come across passages and stories like David and we come to him and it says that David was a man after God's own heart. And we read in that story that as the prophet was selecting David to be the next king, that God gave the prophet specific instructions and he said, don't look at the man's outer appearance, but look at his heart because that's what I look at. And so I have to take passages like that and I have to pair that with stories like Genesis chapter four and I have to say, I don't know why the sacrifice was unacceptable as far as the content of the sacrifice but I do know that when Cain approached God, there must have been something wrong in his heart. There must have been some intent, there must have been something in his conscience, something that he brought before God and God said, hey, it's not about the fruit, but there's just something off. See, I think about that and I go, man, how many of us does that apply to when we think about how we come before God? We come before him with offerings of, of singing songs and, and giving up Sunday mornings and skipping sporting events and, and doing all this stuff to be a part of church. And we, we serve on teams and we teach Sunday school classes and life groups. We, we do all of this stuff and, and, and we give to God all of these things, this content. And I think that sometimes God looks at us and he goes, that's great, but why are you doing it? 
Where's your heart in why you're doing this? What's the motivation behind it? Because if the motivation isn't pure, then the offering isn't valid. And see, we end up starting to do things for our pleasure instead of God's. We come to church because it's what we enjoy doing, not because we've actually come to give God glory. We come and we serve on teams because we want the recognition and the approval, not because we want to serve in God's kingdom and make sure that God's word is given to the next generation. We find motivation in us. We find these motives that are twisted and distorted. It is the effects of the fall. It is sin in us. We come and we serve and we bring these offerings. We give money. We give of our time. We give of our resources. We do all of these things. And if we've done that with a pure heart, then amen, praise God, hallelujah. But if we've done it with any hint of trying to get our own acclamations, we have failed at that. We talked about that just a few short weeks ago as we walked through the Sermon on the Mount. We walked through three passages where God says, hey, it's not about what you do, it's about what's in here. And that wasn't new with Jesus. We find that in the story of Cain and Abel. It's not about what you did, it's about why you did it. So Cain, he brings the sacrifice, he gives it to the Lord and we get this Phrasing that God accepted the, the offering of Abel, but he didn't accept the offering of Cain. And then in verse 5, something happens to Cain. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. His face fell. Many of us may have walked through the last week with our face looking down at the ground. Maybe we didn't do that physically, but spiritually maybe we've stopped looking up to God because we've sinned and we know it, or we've done something out of an ill motive and we know it, and we just can't bring ourselves to look God in the face anymore. And so we've put our face down, hoping that God will just move on we put our face down and we take our eyes off of God and we just hope that God will just leave us alone. <laughs> but God pursues. The Lord said to Cain, verse 6, Why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, then, then sin is crouching at the door and its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. See, Cain's natural reaction as this sin creeped in, as these ill motives crept in, was that he began to withdraw from God, just like Adam and Eve. See, it's no different. We watch it in Adam and Eve in the garden. They, they sin, they take of the fruit, and what do they do? God, I'm so sorry, please forgive me. No, they hide, they withdrew, they covered themselves with fig leaves. God shows up in the garden, hey, Adam, hey, where are you? And they just crickets, they're quiet. They don't want God to know they've let their face fall. And we do the same thing, we sin, we, we walk in these things, and instead of coming before God and saying, hey, God, I messed this up, I'm so sorry, 
We let our faces fall and we hide and we withdraw from God. But God in his mercy and his goodness pursues us every time. He comes into the garden with Adam and Eve and he chases after him. Hey, Adam, hey, Eve, where are you? He knew where they were. He wanted to give him a chance to respond. Hey, Cain, where are you, bud? Hey, hey, listen, why are you angry? He knew why he was angry. God wasn't unaware. What he wanted was for his child to look him in the face and say, God, I messed up. See, the effects of sin drive so deeply into us that it distorts our relationship with God. And we think God is coming for vengeance. We think God is an angry God with a, with a magnifying glass and we're the anthill and he's just trying to burn us. But God has come to pursue us in this. He comes to Cain and I just imagine how this conversation could have gone much differently for Cain. What if God had shown up and said, hey, Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? Don't you know that if you'll just do good, if you'll just do what I've told you to do and do it for the right reason, that you'll be accepted just like your brother? There's no double standard here. Just do what's right. And I can imagine how that conversation could have gone much differently if Cain would have looked at God in that moment and said, you know, God, you're right. You've been just to my family all this time. My family spit in your face and rebelled against your commands. And yes, there were consequences dealt out, but you have protected us every day since. You have promised, and I'm a symbol of that promise, that one day you're gonna send someone who's gonna squash the head of that serpent that tricked my mom and dad into doing what they did. And you've brought me into this world as a symbol of that. God, I'm praising you, and I'm so sorry that I messed that up. Teach me to do what's right. Can you imagine how this story would have gone completely differently? God pursued Cain, but in his pursuit of Cain, Cain ran further away. What's Cain's response to God? I'll give you a hint. There isn't one. God comes to Cain and he says, hey, Cain, fix this. And if you'll fix it, then everything's gonna be okay. Look at verse eight. We should see Cain respond to God in that moment. Hey, God, thanks for the opportunity. Yes, please forgive me. Let's fix this. But instead, Cain went and spoke to who? Abel. Cain, you should have just dealt with God. That's where your problem lied. Abel has nothing to do with this. But just like his mom and dad like to pass the buck, Y'all remember that? God comes to Adam. Hey, Adam, why'd you do this? Hey, man, this is that wife you gave me. Hey, Eve, why'd you do this? It was the serpent, God. And that same mentality runs to Cain and Abel. Cain is confronted by God, and instead of Cain just owning up to it, instead of Cain just confessing it right there in that moment, instead of just dealing with the problem, Cain blames his brother. It's Abel's fault, little punk. You showed me up. You did better than me, man. It's, my, it's your fault that God didn't accept my offering. If you wouldn't be such a goody-goody, God would have accepted mine. Now, we don't know what the conversation was. It's not there. But we do know that because Cain didn't go to God and deal with it with God and instead went to try to blame his brother, there was more of a fall than there should have been. 
See, the effects of the fall, it's no different again today. We can track that down generation after generation after generation all the way down to Chris Bates in 2023 that when God begins to deal with me, my natural tendency is not always to go, you're right, God, I'm so sorry. My natural tendency is to go, hey, God, it was his fault. Hey, hey, God, that didn't work out the way it was supposed to because that person did something dumb. And then maybe even instead of saying that to God, maybe I even take that a step further. And instead of just letting that be between me and God, I take it to that person. And I begin to hold anger and bitterness in my heart towards somebody who hasn't done anything wrong because of my own sin. How many relationships are broken in this world? How many families have fallen apart because one person couldn't see clearly enough to say to God, hey, it's my fault, God, forgive me. And instead of just dealing with what needed to be dealt with, they started pointing the finger at everybody else in their family. They started pointing the finger at everybody else in their workplace. They started pointing the finger at everybody else in their government and everywhere else in their community and in, in their, uh, their social lives. And they begin to say, hey, it's their fault. God, if you just do something with them, we'd be all right here. God needs to do something with us. That's why Micah tells us, if my people who are called by my name will get on their face before me, I will turn and I will heal their land. Not when they get on their face, when we get on our face. But we can't do that. Because that would require us humbly recognizing that we're the problem. So we, like Cain, point the finger. We, like Cain, begin to pursue somebody else and try to push it off on them. And when that begins to happen, man, sin begins to escalate. And see, here's what I love about this is God had warned Cain what was about to happen, right? Like, look back with me uh, at, the, at the end of verse, where is it? Uh, verse seven. He says, if you do well, uh, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is ca- uh, crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. God warns him and he says, Cain, you're about to mess up, bud. Sin is crouching at the door and he's about to mess this thing up for you. You need to get this right. And Cain, rather than recognizing it and fixing the issue, goes to his brother, confronts his brother about nothing that was Abel's fault. And then out of the root of anger and bitterness that he'd allowed to take root in his life, he slays his brother, kills him, spills his brother's blood over what? Over his own pride and ignorance to be able to recognize Cain, it's you, bud. You're the problem. And again, I wonder how this would have gone much differently if Cain would have recognized that. If Cain would have just said, God, you're right, it's me, I'm sorry. Abel would have lived, he would have married, he would have had kids, he would have passed on generations, we would have had a much different story. But Cain was too obsessed with his own pleasure. I wanna do things my way. I want it to work the way I want it to work. I want God to accept me for me and I don't wanna have to change or, or, or look different. I don't wanna have to uh, bow to his commands. I don't wanna have to bring it in his way. I just want God to accept me. And Abel, he's the one that's holding that back from happening, so let's take him out. But then we see the pursuit of God again. We've already seen it once. God shares some truth with him. He says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? That's pursuit number one. 
But then we see a second pursuit. Cain kills his brother. In verse 9, the Lord shows up again. Let's have another conversation, Cain. Let's talk about this again, Cain. Hey, where is Abel, your brother? And Cain's response, my goodness, how prideful. My goodness, how evil. To look back at this God who has spared your life. I don't know, God, am I my brother's keeper? God could have struck him dead. God could have snuffed his life out right then and there. You know, talk back to me, boy. Let's see what happens. But God's pursuit of Cain wasn't done. Maybe we've walked through seasons of life where we've got kind of short with God. Maybe we've walked through seasons of life where it didn't go exactly how we thought it was going to go. And instead of just submitting to God in obedience, maybe we started to get kind of snippy. All right, God, where are you now? What next, God? When's the other foot going to fall, God? How are you going to mess me up now, God? Is it really my job, God? Is that really what you want me to do? No. God, that's, that's not my job. And we get short and we get sarcastic and we get snippy with God. And again, God had all authority and all ability as a righteous, just God. He could have just, mm, let's snuff that one out. Let's start over again. But he didn't. But he does get mad. <laughs> Verse 10. And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground and now you're cursed from the ground which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it'll no longer yield to you its strength. You'll be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. See, the second pursuit of God was with his mercy. God had every right in this world to destroy Cain right then and there. But God's mercy shines through. He looks at Cain and he says, hey man, <laughs> I want to. <laughs> I want to squish you like a bug, but I want to pursue you more. So I'm going to correct, and I'm going to teach, and I'm going to deal out consequences, and I'm going to give all of these things, but what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to give you what you do deserve. That's called mercy. You deserve to be squashed out of this world, but instead I'm going to let you live, but I can't let you live without consequence. So I'm gonna be merciful. I'm not gonna kill you right here and now, but, but what is going to happen is you're gonna have an amplified version of the curse that your dad got. Your dad had this curse that said, hey, the, the ground's not gonna cooperate with you anymore. Thorns and thistles are gonna come up out of the ground, and through the sweat of your brow, you're gonna produce fruit. Now I'm gonna amplify that. I'm gonna take it up a notch, Cain, because that was already applied to you through the work of your dad. But now I'm gonna take it up a notch and, and so that same curse is gonna get even stronger with you, Cain. This ground that you love so much, this thing that you think is pleasurable for you, it's not gonna be pleasurable anymore. It's gonna be hard work, it's gonna be toilsome, it's gonna be difficult, it's not gonna be fun. And oh, by the way, that same curse I gave to your dad too about, hey, you gotta get out of the garden, I'm amplifying that one too, you need to get out of my presence. There have been very few times in my life as a father that I've ever just been like, get out of my face, 
to my kids. Like, I can't even look at you right now. In fact, I don't know that that's ever really happened with my kids. I get mad. I get angry where I'm like, hey, <laughs> come on, man, don't do that. But I don't think I've ever gotten to a place where I'm like, I, you just need to get out right now. But this is the heartbeat that God has with Cain in this moment. He's looking at him and he's like, hey, man, like, ugh, like, get out. <laughs> get out of my presence. Cain has messed this up so bad that God is looking at him and he's like, man, you remember all those curses I gave your dad? Yep, you can up those for you. And this child who represented the promise of the squished head of a serpent now was just a deeper representation of a fallen world. But God pursued. God pursued with mercy. And then God's going to pursue with something more. Cain responds, verse 13, Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. You catch the drama of Cain here at this point? Cain just responds back to God with everything that God said. He's accurate on everything until he gets to the very last statement. And then in the very last statement, he looks at God and he says, yeah, yeah, you're gonna push me away from you. You're gonna make the ground hard to till, and it's not gonna cooperate with me. And then he adds a consequence that God never gave to him. And then if anybody finds me, God, they're gonna kill me. Be quiet, drama. We do that too. God deals out consequences to us as a heavenly father and we get dramatic. Oh God, you're just, we become David in some of the Psalms. I love David and I love the Psalms, but the truth is David is a drama queen when it comes to a lot of things in the Psalms. How long, O oh Lord, are you going to hide your face from me? How long, O oh Lord, are you going to do these things? Be quiet, David. God's blessed you. And here we are. We've got Cain doing the same thing. Oh, you're going to drive me out. Oh, these people, they're going to chase me down. They're going to kill me, God. And so God pursues yet again. This time, not with mercy, but with grace. He gives Cain something that he didn't deserve. Verse 15. Then the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who find him should attack him. And then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, uh, east of Eden. What we see in this moment is that God looks at Cain. And even in the moment of Cain again, God just keeps giving him opportunities. Like, Cain, fix it, fix it fix it and Cain keeps withdrawing more and more and then he gets dramatic about it and God even in that moment looks at Cain and he says I got you bud no one's going to lay a hand on you and if they do I'm going to defend you you are never too far from God I don't care how far or how long you've been running. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how many times you've cursed God to his face. I don't care how many times he's pursued after you in the past and you've run further away from him. God is still pursuing you just like he did Cain in that passage. God just keeps chasing him and he keeps offering him mercy and grace. And even after Cain just royally messes it up, God says, hey, I got you. There's consequences, don't get me wrong. Life is gonna look very different for you because of these choices you've made, but I'm going to be right there with you. 
I'm gonna mark you, and if anybody even tries to touch you, I got your back. I don't care how bad you've messed this thing up, God's with you. Sin or no sin, God's grace and his mercy, they just pursue us. God pursued Cain with truth and he ran. God pursued Cain with mercy and he made excuses. God pursued Cain with grace and he covered him. And Cain lived out the rest of his life protected by the hand of God. Why are you running? Why are you making excuses? God's grace and his mercy is pursuing you. All you need to do is change the conversation. Stop running. Take ownership of it. God, here I am, it's me, I'm the problem. Fix me. Let me pray for you this morning. God, we thank you for the story of Cain and Abel that teaches us, Father, that you are in pursuit. You always have been. Since day one of the fall, Father, you offered a solution to the problem of sin. Then we get to Cain and Abel, and you offer a solution to Cain, even in the midst of his personal sin. God, we'll watch as you pursue after the Israelites for literally thousands of years. You will pursue them time and time again as they follow you for seasons and then they rebel against you and they, they fall away. And, and God, you discipline them and you draw them back. And when they repent, Father, you, you allow a remnant to come back. You, you keep bringing them back in, God. And even if they've done it a thousand times, you just keep bringing them back. And God, these stories, they teach me, they, they show me, Father, that, that I'm not too far gone. I can't mess this thing up more than you can fix it. God, there's no way that I can destroy this thing to a place where you can't repair it. But I do have to come to a place where I, I stop running and I stop blaming it on other people and I stop talking about how my parents didn't raise me right or how my parents gave me a terrible example or I gotta stop talking about how, I mean, it was the choice of my coworker or my, my next door neighbor that, that led me into that sin. I, I just need to stop and I need to confess to you, God, that it's me, I'm the problem. It's my sin, it's my choices. And I need to come before you, God, and I just need to say to you, fix me, God. And then your mercy and your grace, they will cover me. And God, I know that that's not just true for Chris Bates in this room this morning, Father. It's true for every one of us in this room. You pursue us. You desire to cover us, protect us. You give us chance after chance and opportunity after opportunity. So God, I pray this morning that if there's somebody in the room this morning that, that hears those words and goes, man, I've been, I've been passing the buck. I've been blaming it on somebody else. I've, I've allowed the effects of sin to just run rampant and, and make it about my pleasure instead of God's pleasure. It, uh, it's about my purposes right now instead of God's purposes. And I've been living life for my glory instead of his glory. God, I pray that in the room this morning, the conversation would change they quit passing the buck and they would step up and they'd own it. They'd say, yeah, it's me. God, I need you. Just like Cain needed you. Just like Adam and Eve needed you. Just like David needed you. And 
Saul needed you and Abraham and Moses and all these other wonderful people of Scripture that we read about. God, I need you. God, I pray that through that, through that honesty this morning, God, that you would change their life. That you would redeem and restore what's been lost. And that you would get the glory, honor, and praise us through your name. Because you're at the center of the story, God, not us.